How many of you find yourself watching the news on TikTok without even searching it out? Whether it's a well-known news anchor picking up their phone to casually let you know what's going on or a story you've been served because it's about an interest of yours, TikTok is the fastest growing source of news for adults right now. In this episode, we're joined by associate TikTok producer at the Washington Post, Carmela Boykin, to give us an insight into one of the first legacy news outlets in the US to take the news to TikTok and do it well. When it comes to the way news is reported, it can sometimes be quite traditional and plain, but that's not the way the Washington Post likes to do things. In this episode, we cover how TikTok's made us change our habits when consuming news, how to convert the old guard when it comes to new ways of working, and why dancing in front of a green screen to report on Mayan civilization works. Well, Carmela, welcome to Social Mind. We're so thrilled to have you on here. And we'll kick off this week, as we always do, with a big overarching question. Our question for you is, how is TikTok changing how we tell the news? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you all. TikTok is changing the news because I think it's really expanding where the news can reach, who can reach it, and how quickly people can consume it in a way that's both like visual, but also can be fun or funny. And even like has the news where it's like trending. You can watch news and it's like along with like viral trends. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, no, definitely is. But I mean, there are there are some naysayers, right? I mean, we were doing some research for our questions and um, in the last year, I think it was both Ofcom and Reuters both found that TikTok's, first of all, the fastest growing source of news for adults, um, which is crazy in itself. But then it was obviously met with sort of worries about the death of traditional journalism. And I know TikTok is like different even from Facebook and YouTube, which have both faced the same criticism in the past. So what do you think that TikTok can do for news that other platforms maybe fall short of? I think what TikTok can do is really reach an audience of people who aren't necessarily like seeking out the news. I think because TikTok feeds you content and it might be content that people didn't know that they were interested in, it can give them news without them necessarily seeking it out. Whereas in traditional news or even like online news, you have to click on it or you have to search for it. Um, But now it's just like broadcasted to people and we can reach people who never even knew that they wanted to watch the Washington Post TikTok. Yeah, true. I think the the like serving it to you, like the recommendation based feed, has mm. probably had quite an impact there. Absolutely, especially when you get a topic and you didn't know so many people were interested in it, and it'll also like reach certain demographics. So I did a TikTok about Kanye West, and I was like talking in a classroom and talking about that TikTok, and like people were in the classroom were like, "Oh, yo, I've seen that. That's crazy." And like <laughs> I said, "Okay, raise your hands. How many people have seen it?" And like almost the entire room raised their hands. And then I asked about a different TikTok, and then they were like. No, we just saw the, the Kanye West one. Yeah. So it's crazy how like demographics are reached. Yeah, it's interesting because, for example, if I was watching the, the news on the TV and something that I just completely wasn't interested in came on the news, likely I'm switching that off. But if it comes in on the feed, you're kind of in that flow state, I think mm. I'd be more tempted to watch something that I probably wasn't as interested in. Just be purely, well, probably because also it's, it's going to be more entertaining if it's coming from yourself, Carmela, <laughs> probably, and the way you do things. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely that the platform on which you're served, and we will get onto this TV sort of TikTok mm. narrative later on, but I think that's definitely definitely something to do with it. I mean, if TikTok's showing it to you, it's because they, they know yeah. that you're interested in it, right? It's the same as any other type of content on that platform. 
I wasn't going to bring this phrase up, but I am going to bring it up. But pretty much one of my <laughs> <Straight> first <away>. questions. <laughs> like yeah. Two minutes in. Fake news. Oh no! Sorry about that's that. a blast from the past. I, yeah, I am going to bring that up. So, uh, if you're just looking at a few trust stats, less than a third of young people trust what they see on TikTok. Right? So it's pretty high, I would say. But then we look at the TV news stats, and less than half trust TV news. So. Neither are great, to be honest. But that trust <laughs> we angle, just don't trust news. Full we just stop. don't trust anything. Yeah, but I, I, I think that's probably from that fake news re- like rhetoric. But anyway, that trust angle on TikTok specifically has been used as a bit of a counter argument, I think, to, to TikTok's value. Like you mentioned there, you know, some people just as soon as you, you hear a TikTok, they go, mm, "It can't be." as legit as TV news, for example. Well, yeah. What would you say to those in journalism, like the sort of the old guard who argue that TikTok is the sort of place where you go to for dumbed down news? Yo, listen, we get that. We hear that a lot. I've heard that even from past professors who are like, yo, like, is that really even a journalism mm. job? Okay, so maybe largely people don't trust news on TikTok. But if you go into like specific communities and specific creators and audiences relationship with the creators, I think you might find that that ratio is a little bit different. So like our audience knows that we'll explain how we told the story, where we got the story from, and that trust we've been able to build. And so you see that in our comment section of people saying like, thank you, I didn't know about this. Thank you for sharing this information. And also in terms of like the old guard, I think TikTok is a way of adapting with where people are. If people are spending their time on TikTok, it's really important for news organizations, specifically big news organizations to be on because that's where young people are. That's where like the future demographic is. Like if the most important demographic is 18 to 32 or 34 or whatever, how are you going to grab those people? You have to like show them that you know how to adapt and create things that they want to see. Yeah, it's a bit snobby, isn't it? <laughs> the idea of the old guard. But like we do hear it a lot. And like I said before, like Facebook got the same amount of criticism, like YouTube got the same amount of criticism. And we kind of we kind of adjusted to to that, right? So hopefully they'll just adjust and adapt to this as well. I think it's just because it's so wildly different. Yeah, it is. You, because it is. of the way you tell the story is so completely different to seeing it as a, like a, a sat down journalist behind yeah. it or a newsreader. You're not just like putting hyperlinks like on there and like a post. Like you have to completely reimagine it, don't you, with the format? For sure. But I think that's what makes it so cool. I've worked in traditional journalism before and... The whole like sitting at the desk, speaking Mm. in that newscaster voice, like no one talks like that. No one's personality is like that. And so the fact that I can like make content in my personality, I think is I think it's more authentic, too. And I think that connects to people better, especially if it's people's like launching point into getting into a story. Right. You can't put all the information in one TikTok in like 30 seconds, but you can like peak an interest and then they can go want to seek out more information, which arguably is the same as sitting at a desk and reading a 30 second reader of just in the broadcast news voice. No, definitely. Eve's got a voice like that as well. No, she, she does it for yeah, the intro. Yeah, I know. I tell you what, I always think for our listeners, like the difference between hearing us in interviews versus our like more like news bulletin format, social and six, I think is quite different. But I'm working <laughs> on it. But it's quite hard not to slip into it. Anyway, I digress. We were talking about obviously TikTok being a bit different to the other platforms, and I think tone of voice on the platform and being able to speak a platform's language is a huge part of it and we know how integral it is to performing well there and I think another way that TikTok's quite different is that its voice is arguably like the youngest I mean it's the youngest platform it's got like the youngest voice on there in terms of like the new terminology like the niche in jokes that kind of thing it's quite specific out of all of them so when you're looking at repackaging news stories for TikTok what is the process of translating that into a language that it's like native to TikTok or, or TikTok speak without losing the integrity of that information. 
I think one of the most important parts about our job is even though we're making like entertaining TikTok content, it's fun and there's dancing and music. The most important part of every TikTok is the story that we're telling. Our intention is always to give the audience a strong information takeaway if it's a new story. And so keeping that in mind throughout the entire creation process of, okay, if I'm adding this trend, is it amplifying the message of the new story or is it taking away? Because if it's taken away, then we've got to kind of rework it to make sure that the central most important part is the news story. Because like that's our goal at the end of the day is to be a news organization and inform people, which can be challenging. I'm not going to lie, but that's definitely the most important part. Yeah, it does have like sort of a different cadence to the platforms. And as we said, you can't just recut like an existing like TV broadcast or like put, put links out on it. So you really do have to start it from scratch. I mean, can you give us an insight into that process? So like you're either looking at like the daily headlines or do you take a story that's perhaps already been written up by one of your journalists and, and is actually in the paper? And are you repackaging that? And if so, like how do you dissect that story? For sure. All of the stories that we do are based on Washington Post reporting. So they're already pre-existing articles. So our job is kind of to distill it and then put it out to TikTok. But I think that process, similar to what I said before, I'm always looking for like, okay, what's the main characters in the story? What are the characters that I can be? Because like I'm a human, right? And so I have to kind of portray each character in the story as me being the, the person. So I'm always looking for like specific characters. And then once I get that, I'll look for music or like different accents I can hit or different parts of the story that like if I say the line and I do a punch in, it'll kind of be like a comedy bit, but also <laughs> it's still delivering the information. So it's definitely a balancing act. I'm intrigued to hear the accents. Can you do a Donald <laughs> Trump impersonation? Oh, God, no. <laughs> See, <laughs> that's the, the thing spot. that's great about this is every single character I play where it happens to have like a suit and glasses and a bun. And even if it's like Elon Musk, who doesn't wear any of these things, like it can still just be that because I put the little plaque and that's it. <laughs> it feeds on nicely to what I was going to ask actually about balance more than anything. So we know you've got these, they are sort of comedic the way they're portrayed, right? But there's you know, journalism is important. It's serious. It's it's a full time job for you to convey these stories. But then, looking at some case studies from from the TikTok itself, so I was looking at a few sort of light hearted ones. And there was one about the Mexican government building a train line through the heart of ancient Maya civilization, right? And that was like a green screen, loads of funny gestures, quite light hearted. I think pretending for, to be the Mayan civilization and the Mexican government. Yeah, back <laughs> and, and they forward. had a bun and glasses. <laughs> 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 but you know obviously it's it's not a light-hearted topic so to speak but it was portrayed in a, in a nice way and then you've kind of got the coverage of Roe versus Wade again very very serious topic and that was what well, wasn't conveyed in that sort of comedy way that was conveyed in a sort of sat down with facts overlaid real sort of I guess it was a kind of take on it was almost like a social take on news reading I guess but it's just a case of how do you decide on which tone of voice you're using and then how do you cater for the fact that news is so serious and then how do you kind of get that tone right? Absolutely. I think that's one of the most challenging parts of the job is figuring out, okay, so where's the line between like comedy and serious and what's too much? When I was doing the Roe versus Wade story, I was on the West Coast in the US. So I was in California. I was the only person working on shift. And when I woke up, I saw that Roe was overturned. And so I knew if people, just like myself, I was basically making a video for myself of, okay, so Roe was overturned, but like, what does that even mean? So the Post already had reporting and I knew it was such a serious story and it's such an intense story in the US that there was no way I was going to mm -hmm. make light of it. And so the most important thing that I needed to do was just get out the information, mm -hmm. like in any TikTok, but 
It needed to be quick. It needed to be efficient. And that was the quickest way to do it. And it performed really well because it just was a strong story. Mm-hmm. I think for the story about Mexico's government building the tourism train, our audience is primarily in the U.S. So how are we going to engage a U.S. audience to care about something that's like outside of the U.S.? Which sounds kind of bad, but also it's valid. It's We see that in our TikTok traffic. So I think by adding in adding in that like strong, intense music and adding in all the different characters, I think it was able to break down a complex story. And it's a hella serious issue. It's definitely serious. But I think the elements that we touched on were okay to portray it in the way that it did. If you were playing devil's advocate, I would argue that like, you know, we talked about the old guard. That would be their approach to every story because like every topic's a serious one. Every story's a serious one. And if you were part of ancient Mayan civilization, it might be more serious to you. But I know I can completely understand like Roe versus Wade being such a sensitive and topical and contentious issue at that point in time. It wouldn't have gone down well at all to try and like caricature it. But yeah, it must be a really tough line to balance for sure. It definitely is. Even though the Mayan story is lighter, I tried to include elements of people at least raising like awareness in the TikTok that this is a serious issue. So like the archaeologists, even though they were in music, they weren't dancing and be like, oh, la la la, we're just archaeologists, like with facial expressions and with like accents and punching in. Yeah, I tried to kind of portray that like this is a this is a problem. No, I think it 100% came across. I mean, anyone listening who hasn't seen it, go watch it. Like you can see in like the dialogue and like the subs and the captions that like you're kind of, what's the word? Not self-aware, but you're kind of like not mocking. Were you mocking the Mexican government? Oh, <laughs> I'm dear. like stuffing on eggshells here. Um, but I, quite, I wouldn't say mocking. Oh, I wouldn't no. say mocking. I quite, I quite liked that you were like pointing out like areas of the story that might already be ridiculous. Like if something that you're reporting on could be seen as outrageous, it was like shining a light on that in a way that was comedic, but that you weren't making light of anything that the victims of that story were going through, if you know what I mean. And to be clear, like, that's never my intention. My intention is always like, okay, if I were on the receiving end of the story and I saw someone making, like, a meme dancing video, like, it better be good. (laughs) It better, like, Yeah, it better at least make me laugh. Yeah. Have you ever think you've got one wrong, Carmela, where maybe you've got a bit serious where it could have been lighthearted or even vice versa, where you've gone too lighthearted? Any examples? There's never been a moment where I was too serious. I think it's better to err on the side of caution. There have been TikToks that we posted or that I've even created um, and our managers are like, "Mm, I don't necessarily know if we should post that. And I think that's okay. I think going through the process of making a TikTok and having your manager be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) In like the moment. Oh, you're preaching to the choir here. That's our whole life. (laughs) Exactly. So you know the vibe. But there's value in that too because it's kind of a learning lesson and also they're there to protect us right and they're there to protect our reputation so it's challenging but sometimes if you post something the audience will give us feedback too and that sometimes hurts as well but in those moments i've just taken it down re-recorded it to make it more serious and get it right because again we're catering to an audience so yeah no definitely i'm glad you mentioned that as well because like tiktok is a place where people certainly aren't shy to let you know what they think of something and it's quite difficult to to say anything without offending somebody um, in some regard. And you just see like the comment section, like videos and stories can quite quickly take on a life of their own there. Let's go back in time to the Amber Heard Johnny Depp defamation trial, which I think was probably one of the first times that I actually saw how such a high profile current event could, you know, be distributed and come through on a platform like TikTok. And like, 
the story was everywhere. Everyone knew what was going on. Everyone was following it. But I think in terms of like the quality of discourse, it really sort of came up short because that kept happening, right? People were like losing their minds in the comment section and that that just became its own beast. So I think it became a bit of a talking shop for like gossip and just really like off-piste over-analysis. So when you guys are like putting a story out and you kind of want to like safeguard not just like the point of the story, like the information, but also the integrity of your own journalism, how do you sort of moderate and manage what's going on in the comments section um, and make sure that misinformation from users isn't overshadowing the story that you're telling and, and the video itself? I can't necessarily speak to the whole post, but on our TikTok account, fortunately, that's not like a massive, massive issue because we do have a really awesome community of people who are like nice in the comment sections. But sometimes when that does happen, we'll either go in uh, in the comment section and we'll respond to those comments and give actual information, or we'll make a separate comment in the comment section and kind of highlight that with accurate information so people don't scroll in the comment section and see all this misinformation. Or sometimes if it's really intense, we'll just make a separate TikTok being like, some people had concerns about this issue and here's what's actually going on. And it's not a correction of information for us, but it's just kind of highlighting the correct, accurate reporting. An explanation, yeah. It's interesting that, I don't know, if it was like print journalism, you'd probably get like a redaction or you're like a clarification, Mm. but maybe on TikTok when it is short form sometimes, yeah, you can't get in every point of the story, can you? So maybe sometimes it does just need that extra explanation to give that further context. I always find those reductions really funny in the paper where they go, oh, sorry about that. I know it's (laughs) like move on, but the damage is (laughs) gone, but oh, sorry about that. I do actually, I'm interested to know because you take all your TikToks, we talk about distilling them, right? And making it super short form. And you take all your TikToks from Washington Post stories that have already been done. How do your colleagues feel about like spending like, I don't know, a week or two weeks researching and writing this really detailed, incredibly written piece and then (laughs) watch it get turned into like a seven second video? That's definitely something I'm aware of because I haven't written for the Washington Post like they do, but I've definitely been on the other side of doing journalism and then like someone writing a headline about it. And you're like, what is going on? Um, And I'm also really conscious of that whenever I make TikTok content, because I know I would not be able to do the work that I do without their hours and hours of like research and vetting sources and interviewing those sources and then editing and then writing and then getting it edited and that massive process. But for the most part, any response we've gotten has been really positive because at the end of the day, like we're distilling their information into a TikTok, but how do you get more information? You go back to that person's like writing and journalism. So it's a nice like circle of of helping everyone. No, definitely. I think that I think that's nice. I want to talk about another moment in time, sort of really like contrasting to the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial in which like TikTok was instrumental in getting a big story out there and showing a different side of it. But this time, I think for good. And it was obviously Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that huge story that was being told, but also taking on a life of its own through TikTok because we were able to see all ordinary like Ukrainians pick up their devices and show us firsthand what was going on and, and speak in their own words. Some footage, I think, was viewed, was it nearly a million times every minute, it says, in the conflict's early days, which is just crazy. Um, And obviously on BBC News or like CNN in America or similar, um, you're only getting like the polished version. So what do you think the pros and cons are of so much of today's news not being supplied by by professional journalists all the time, but actually being supplemented by ordinary people and user-generated content? And, you know, even when, when we watch like a polished broadcast on TV at the end of the day, they're taking videos that have been put out from the general public. I think it has a lot of value. I think the pros are you really get to see what's it like to be a citizen in 
a certain area. So what's it like to be in Ukraine? What's it like to like when George Floyd happened? Like, what was it like to be on the street, like watching that event happen? And I think some potential cons is, of course, journalists like are trained and go through a lot of work to have the skills that they do to be able to tell stories in an objective way and make sure that there's different information in there um, that's essential to the story. And I think when you have just like a man on the street doing their journalism, they're, of course, not going to have those kind of skills. But I again, I think the value is really getting to see well, what, what was it like to be there? Like, what was it like to be a citizen, like recording on your phone? And the fact that we were able to have Joyce Coe, who's a reporter at The Washington Post in Ukraine, send us back footage like on the ground of what it was like, just shot from her phone. Um, and we were able to edit it was so awesome to have coverage and be able to show our audience like what was happening in Ukraine. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I think that's the difference. Like you say, you've got a trained journalist on the ground. It doesn't matter as much like the format, but when it's when it is just like your average ordinary person, I've got a stat here that says about 40 percent, so nearly twice as much, 44 uh, percent of people get their information from other people on TikTok, whereas half of that, about 24 percent, get their information from the news organizations themselves. So there's more news coming out of ordinary people's mouths than trained professionals mouths. So I want to know, I guess, what what you think about where that line is, right, between that UGC or like word of mouth that gives that sort of mass reach to these like untold stories and unheard voices versus that need for like professional reporting or even like keeping photojournalism alive. I think it's really interesting. And I think it comes down, honestly, to like an individual's media literacy, which can be a wide scale of the kind of skills that people have. Because sometimes when you're listening to an everyday Joe, you're like, oh, well, they're giving sources and like, this is where they got this information. Like, it's very clear how they put the story together. And then sometimes people can just sit there and make it up. And then sometimes people believe them. And so I think that's what makes it challenging is it really falls on the user to have skills to be able to discern like, hmm, this is valid or this isn't because you can tell they're getting paid off by this person to say like this kind of information. So at the end of the day, like I really just encourage people to look at, well, where's this information coming from? And I even do that like with documentaries when I'm watching. That's not just specific to TikTok. That's like, if you're watching a documentary and there's like sad music behind it, okay, well, who funded that documentary? Like, where is the money coming from? What's the message that they're trying to tell people? And like, what's the benefit to them? Are they selling something? Do they want you to like vote for something? So it's like across all media, I think. Yeah, some people are so savvy at that actually. And I sometimes like to think I am, but I'm not because I find myself watching and reading things and without even like consciously thinking about it, I'll just sort of like, take it on board absorb it and sort of move on because i'm just i'm just scrolling you know but yeah you're so right like whoever's telling you this story like do they have like stakes in it at all and yeah like i guess that's the point of having or like the benefit of getting to put a news organization logo or like handle with that blue tick even though we don't have them on twitter anymore (laughs) (laughs) don't get started on blue ticks because it's that assumed credibility right like if that name is there that legacy name whoever's watching can rest assured that they've got their sources like it is credible whereas if it's coming from an everyday person the onus is always going to be on the viewer or the consumer or the reader to do that research themselves and i'm just it's not something that every person is prepared to do right can we trust them to do that But then also, too, even as a news organization, it's important to still show where we're getting the information from every once in a while and show them, like, this is the process. Just so there's still that transparency and trust there, too. Yeah, because, I mean, The Post was one of the first to kind of successfully migrate to TikTok, right? Especially with that 
light-hearted stance that we talked on and, and having real fun with the news. But then we've seen other news outlets completely stay away from it, not even on TikTok. But then some have joined you in with that sort of copy and that sort of light-hearted angle. And then you've got... Serious. Yeah, like New York Times go quite traditional, right? So not to... We're not calling out anyone out here. We're just saying different approaches. So New York Times have gone very traditional. Some have copied you. Some have stayed off. What's the best practice here? Is there a best practice for how to relay news on TikTok? Yeah, the best practice, I think, is to stay authentic to the people that are making the TikTok content. So, like, if your style is serious, then doing serious TikToks, I would say, is absolutely the way to go. I think audiences are really perceptive at telling, like, when something is being forced. Because if you're not a funny person and you're on TikTok and you're, like, trying to be goofy, Mm. it's not going to go over well (laughs) at all. But... I mean, and similar, like vice versa, if you're like a lighter person doing that serious all the time, the audience is kind of going to tell that that's not your vibe and like you're mm-hmm. not, yeah. you don't love doing that as much. So I think authenticity in a brand is so important, especially for the people creating it because they've got to do it every single day. I think that's so far. Like it is a creator's platform. Like sometimes, I mean, here in the UK, there's a couple of broadcasters um, like for the, for the BBC as well, where they'll take like news anchors and reporters that you you know from having watched them on telly for years, and now they're sort of doing it off their own channels. A bit like when Twitter first came along, and you just follow the journalists instead of following, or as well as following the news outlet and the paper as well. Um, and we have seen people do that and take a more creator approach on an individual sort of journalist level on TikTok, which I think is good. Again, you can tell when people are authentic and when they're enjoying it, when they understand the platform. Versus when they feel like they have to. Yeah. Or if it's being cut down yeah. for the platform, even yeah, worse. Yeah, I like it when they just pick pick up and tell us what's going on. Like they're, they're in the, like, the, the newsroom. They haven't gone on air yet, but they've got on their daily bulletins now. Mm-hmm. So they pick it up and be like, by the way, guys, the story's breaking. Here's what you need to know. This, this, and this. There's more here if you want to listen to it. I think it's that really effective. Yeah, yeah. So how do you think journalistic institutions like the BBC, which is a little bit more traditional, can use TikTok to, to re-engage those younger v- readers, younger viewers with the traditional form of longer form news, i.e. the TV. So can it work whereby they have TikTok in their hand, they see something on TikTok and then go back to the television to watch a longer form piece? Do you think that could work? That is a great question. And I'm always kind of curious about that. Mm. And to answer it, I've really like looked back at my habits of what do I do, right? And when I'm watching content on social media, I go to a website, I watch a YouTube video, I'll even watch like an in- website video browser or video player, but I don't have cable. (laughs) I don't really watch television except for streaming. And so I think it's really important for brands to kind of revamp their processes because where are people watching your stuff? Like I'm not going to pay extra money to watch television news when I can just get it online from other sources. Yeah, that's such a good point. Not only for free, but like in a way that I know I want to watch. I don't want to sit and watch someone at a desk, like tell me in a news voice about a story I can read read it much faster, watch the videos and like come up with my own perceptions, you know? I kind of just consume it wherever it's served to me. Do you know what I mean? Like if if the BBC news is on the TV in the background and I'm hearing something I've not heard before, I'll stop and I'll watch it. If I see an article on Twitter and it's something I don't know about, I'll click it and I'll read the whole thing. Like um, I don't, I don't subscribe to the attention span thing, but I'm very biased. I still enjoy reading long things. But yeah, if I see it on a TikTok, I'll, I'll watch it then. And it's quite rare. I think you're right that I then go and seek out 
another format, especially if it's something that I don't have access to at that moment or at all. Mm. Uh, but you can see the dilemma for a lot of news outlets there, can't you? Because they're losing their core audience of long-form traditional like cable viewers in the US and and, and paper readers. And they're thinking, okay, we've got like a, a billion people we could possibly reach here on TikTok or like, look how many like views this one TikTok got half a million views. How do we get them and move them somewhere else? But is it kind of an impossible task? Surely not. I don't know if it's impossible. I know, of course, television is where a lot of the ad revenue comes in. So it totally makes sense why they want people to watch television. Yeah, yeah. But I think, honestly, a lot of news organizations have a lot of money and a lot of like awesome minds in there. And I think if they really like worked at it, they can definitely figure out a way that's like a nice way for them to continue making revenue, but also cater to audiences. I think my, I was going to say worry, I'm not worried about it, but (laughs) my worry would be that TikTok sort of, can only get to a certain level whereby it's sort of like headlines and highlights can never have that massive real deep dive that you probably could get in like a 15 minute investigative sort of piece on the BBC for example but then is that what you really I guess that's what you just said is that really what you want is that what you consume you you probably like the headlines and the sort of quick hits and the you feel you I think people of our demographic feel quite up to speed with the headlines it is it helps you get up to speed like it's faster but i you say you're not worried i am a bit worried when when the nuance of like Mm. not just one story but every story you see is lost we sort of lose the ability to operate in the gray everything's very black or white longer form still exists and people love podcasts and people love video podcasts and i think there are a lot of different ways to still tell stories it's just not going to look like we're used to seeing them yeah i think there's still definitely potential and successful opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Podcasting is a really good point. Like The Guardian, which is another sort of really legacy outlet in the UK, like still in print, but also long form. Like They've got The Guardian Long Reads, which has been like, you know, like articles that are about five, two to 5,000 words, more like essays. And now they have a podcast version of that. And they have about four different podcast arms that I think are all doing really well. So yeah, audio is um, a really good point. But I guess another like huge part of ensuring that journalism's future is is being attractive to young journalistic talent, right? Like yourself. So do you think young talent will be more likely to sort of value working for legacy news outlets like the BBC or like the Washington Post? Um, Or do you think they want to, they're more interested in working for like more nimble outlets who are willing to try out social first news and who are a bit more finger on the pulse when it comes to, you know, what formats they're operating in? I think it's definitely dependent on the individual journalists. So I can't speak for like all journalists. I know for myself, I wanted to have the opportunity to work at a legacy organization. So before this, I was at a local television station as a morning reporter. And then now I work at the Washington Post. But I know there are a lot of people in my graduating class out of university who went to nimble organizations. And I think there's value in both of them. And I think it's really exciting to have the opportunity to work at either or for me. I want wanted stability and insurance. Yeah. So like that's why I'm working where I'm at. But I think for journalists who are a little more risky and like willing to take that chance on a smaller org, that's super cool too. Yeah, no, definitely. We talked about kind of different outlets there and also different mediums. So like, like we just mentioned there, coming onto TikTok from TV, etc. And I think the rise of digital probably has meant casualties to traditional news. Uh, there's probably no two ways about it, unfortunately. But then there's a sentiment along among progressive media voices that news will always find us in that best possible way and it always has so it'll always be moving and always sort of in that state of 
flux, I guess. Um, and that goes from print to broadcasting, digital. Now we're on social, telling the news and everything's yeah. changed. We should be used to it by now. <laughs> yeah. So, so who knows what it looks like, you know, in the next kind of decade or so. But my final question, Carmelo, <laughs> with um, TikTok's future in the US is maybe a little bit uncertain at the minute. Um, so talking of that flux and that constant change, how are you preparing for a potential pivot there if things you know, ultimately get scrapped or yeah, moved on. And do you think newspapers are in a unique position to shift because it's so traditional and so wide, like widespread across the world, whereas TikTok's not, it's not as ingrained, it is ingrained in culture, but it's not as ingrained as hundreds of years of newspapers, which could potentially pivot on a, on a dime. I think fortunately we're diversifying where we're putting our content. So now we've started to build up our YouTube shorts account. We're gaining subscribers yeah. and we're on the up and up. And if you look at like our YouTube studio, it's like, ah, oh, 999% like up, which is great. Nice. And so I think even though TikTok is where the audience was first built, we know how to make vertical content and we know how to cater content to a certain platform. So if TikTok for whatever reason happens to go away, that's unfortunate and a bummer because we have a really strong audience there, people who like care about us and we can interact with them. Um, but we just pivot to wherever people's habits go. And I think Again, even though it's a bummer, like it's really important. And especially in news and especially when working in like tech and social media, everything changes. Like that's the reality. And so being prepared for that um, is super important. I think that's a nice note to end on, not a sour note. Yeah, you did the well end there. of the day. Yeah. <laughs> the post is the post. Like you're not going anywhere. But yeah, you're right. It's just it's just where and how we tell these stories we can expect to keep changing. But with that, I think that's all we've got time for. I would just want to say thank you again for coming on and chatting to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. This was so great. Eve, we knew that was going to be a good one. Carmela is such good fun, as I mean, you can see from her videos for the post on TikTok. Learned a lot there. And I think that sort of carefree nature could go a long way um, in traditional markets. Obviously, today we're talking about news, um, but traditional markets span from everything from insurance to God knows what. A lot of things can be quite traditional, but with a new ways of working and a little bit of a flip the switch and change the ways in which you cover your traditional topic i think we could have more fun on social yeah absolutely i mean it's an important conversation to have and i can kind of empathize with the side you know when we talked about the rise of digital causing casualties for traditional news because it definitely has i can empathize with that speaking as someone who was raised by a regional newspaper editor but as we talked about i think if any industry can do it or should be able to pivot or should have learned by now it's media mm. right um and it's so crucial that legacy outlets are hiring young savvy talent like carmela yep. to like show them the way and then just you know trust them to do it right because Carmela said so in 2019 when the Washington Post TikTok really blew up it was Carmela's current boss Dave and he's still there he's still doing it um, but they just sort of gave it to him and said keep it on the down low but like it's basically yours to run with if you want and now it's obviously not on the down low because they've proven that it works but he had to sort of they had to trust him and he had to trust his instincts and let his personality mm -hmm. do it and yeah it, it's paid off big decision um, though, though. You it know, is. To, to, obviously it's such a huge institution to trust someone that albeit you know has, has likely worked there for years before but to trust someone as a face of your organisation, albeit TikTok was a lot smaller back then, 
It's a big gamble, and especially it's such a radical um, strategy. But that's why we call them a pioneer, right? And I think for anyone who's yet to take that plunge now, you have to assume that the risk is gone because we've let other people go first, basically, that you've let other people go first. So if, if Washington Post assumed all the risk and it paid off for them, other outlets like big or small can now follow in their footsteps and yeah. not try and copy like exactly how they do it, like Carmela said, but follow what works for them. Yeah. So that might be more serious. It might be more jokey. But you have to assume that there's like the risk is gone. There's no excuse really not to be diversifying your broadcast yeah, now. Yeah, I, f- I found it interesting when Carmela spoke about podcasts, actually, because I never thought of it it's like such that. Because podcasts are our long-form yeah. sort of consumption. Honestly, I've, look at how many The Guardian has. They've got about, yeah. they've got about four to six different podcasts under the Guardian brand that all do a different job. It's a really nice angle of attack that way you have your short form TikTok. You've, you still get your traditional lurking in the background, but in terms of social media, so to speak, you've got your short form TikToks for like headlines and highlights, then got your longer form podcasts on your Spotify and Apple Podcasts, etc. And I was thinking, really, this is a result of the way social has created society now. We're all about on the go consumption, right? So we want our headlines on the go, we want our highlights on the go. We want our long form in our ears when we're walking or on the tube or on the train or wherever it may be, somewhere where we're probably traveling for half an hour, an hour, whatever it may be. That's when we're going to consume our long form. Whereas when we get in from our work and we put the TV on, it's going to unlikely be to sit down to watch 30 minutes of the news because we've (laughs) consumed it on our phone before and it's going to be 30 minutes of... Yeah, selling sunset that's on Netflix. A, that's a generational thing, you know? though, isn't it? I think a lot of people do stick on the news when they get home from work, but it's it's like it's those replenishers, as as we were sort of talking about. Uh, but now we've sort of said that. You know, what, earlier we were like, oh, if we saw a news story headline highlights version on social, you wouldn't go and seek out the long form. I kind of take that back. I've changed my mind because I'm thinking, like, say if there's loads of ruckus and loads of buzz about something, mm-hmm. and I see everyone like referencing it in their own way on like LinkedIn, for example. I will go, oh, what, what's all this about then? And I will go and read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's dependent on how much buzz there is and how intrigued I am about that story. Yeah, and that's where I think having a TikTok to sort of like tease you into the story. And if you think it's newsworthy or time-worthy, you can then go and watch it on the news. I think that is the holy grail. If someone can achieve that, hats off, well done, bravo. <laughs>